Thank you, Wendy. You're awesome. Good morning, everybody. Kids and youth, you can head out. Pray a blessing on you. And uh, if you are grade six, uh, sorry, seven or eight, you can go with Quinn right there. He's waving his arms. And uh, kids, you can go to kids' church as normal. Happy Thanksgiving. Wow, we're really quiet this morning. Oh, my goodness. It's good. Let me tell you about something that I was thankful for last night. Um, I, uh, I often spend a couple of hours uh, in the evening going over my sermon for, for this morning and then before I get up and go through it again in the morning. So I took uh, Amber, my eldest, and uh, Luke, my eldest son, to Starbucks. And uh, on the way home... Um, the kind of this series, first of all, we were thankful for coffee, as always, and family. And on the way home, we, uh, Luke just, we, we heard this, uh, this loud explosion, and then Luke looked, and he said, it's fireworks. And so I kind of, I kind of did this handbrake turn into the nearest private, uh, into, not private beach access, because that would be trespassing, um, into a beach access. And we stood and, t- and just enjoyed this huge firework display that looked like it was going on near Manteos or El Dorados. And so we were very excited about that. We jumped back in our car and we head up the hill, and then just near where we lived, there was this beautiful family of deer just right next to the road. There was four and a tiny little Bambi kind of sized deer. So we stopped the car, put hazard lights on, so it was pretty quiet, and just looked at this family of deer. It was so beautiful. And then when we got home, we were still enthusiastic about it, and the kids ran in to tell their mum. And I just took my time, and I looked up, shooting star, my friends. I'm like, oh, yes, this is good. And uh, so I, I had a lot of like series of things to be thankful. So beat that. Um, it was uh, it was wonderful. So I hope that you are especially thankful. What a beautiful day, and uh, just a great day to spend time with family and uh, eat too much and do all the things that we enjoy doing. Let's turn to Exodus chapter twenty, um, and we're going to read some verses from verse eight through to eleven. Exodus twenty. 8 through to 11, and uh, we have handouts for you to read along with, and also on you version as well, if that's the way you like to read the Bible. Okay, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. On the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that today we've set aside this weekend to be thankful and and God as Christians we have extra special reason to be thankful that, God, that we can turn our faces and our minds and our hearts towards you and be thankful, Jesus, for all that you have done for us that enable us to enjoy life and to gain soul rest in you. So, Lord, I pray now as we turn to your scriptures that you would speak clearly to each one of us, that, Lord, you would encourage us and you would challenge us and you would show us more of yourself. We ask these things in your good and precious name, Jesus. Amen. 
Amen. So we're, we're kind of in, a, in a, a section of our journey through the Ten Commandments where, where things change a little bit. The first four commandments are really all about our relationship with God. And then the final six commandments are our relationship with one another, which is why Jesus referred to the two greatest commandments, loving God with all our soul, strength, mind, and heart, and, and loving our neighbors. It's a kind of a, a reference to the two commandments, the two sets of commandments. And so for the first week, we heard about how we need to make God a priority and why that is a good thing for us. In the second week, we heard how we need to think correctly about God. And the third command was representing God well this last week. And it was a challenging week last week. It was, it was really, okay, if we're Christians, this is how we should be living. We shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain. And it's so much more than swearing or cussing. And then today, the fourth commandment, if I was going to give a title to this other than that we should take a Sabbath, it would be soul rest. Resting in Him. Soul rest. If you attend the uh, South for any length of time, then you're going to hear me constantly refer to what we would call the gospel. And, and I want to just read a scripture to you to kick starters off in that direction of soul rest. Isaiah 43, verse 6 to 7. It says, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Verse 7, listen, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. What God is referring through this prophet Isaiah here is what, what we would refer to as the creative order. That we have been created by God for a specific reason, to bring glory to his name. And by doing so, it brings us great joy in our lives. And if you read the story of the Bible, it's not just 66 individual books with their own individual stories. It's one whole story of reconciliation. It's the story of God bringing man back to himself and back to the original order, just like we read here, who he formed and made. You see, we're made in his image, and it's called the Imago Dei. You can read about it in Genesis, that each one of us have a fingerprint of God on our lives that each one of us, Ecclesiastes tell us, have uh, eternity in our hearts. There are aspects to our lives and our spirits and our minds and our attitudes that reflect God. Whether you're a Christian and you believe in God, or whether you're a skeptic and you are not sure, then there are fingerprints of God on your life. Scientists cannot explain. Evolution cannot get anywhere near. There are aspects to the, the human uh, body and emotions and spirit and psychology that really you can trace back to this Amago day. And it, and it was for a specific reason that we've been looking in life tracks, the, the call to be more like God, the call to be more like Jesus, and then to see how he has made us, the call to do, what gifts and strengths has he given us, so that we may then go into the world, the call to go and represent Jesus, to represent this image of God. But then something happened. The fall, as we call it in Genesis, where the world broke. That through the sin, the willful disobedience of man and woman, sin enters the world. And we see the, uh, we see the, uh, the results of that today. We see the results of sin today. Any of you have children, it's an extra loud amen. Because you can see the results from a very early age of the fall. 
Nobody sits down with a child and says, I'm going to teach you how to be disobedient and lie and be sneaky. They just do that naturally. We're all born broken. Do we have elements of God's image in us that is good? Absolutely. But we all have this sin, this brokenness, this separation from God. And the gospel, the good news that the Bible tells us in Jesus Christ is that through Jesus, he brings that which is separate and reconciles them back. The atonement, the at-one-ment, the bringing together through Jesus Christ where that which we used to have before the fall with God can be ours now today. This perfection in Christ. And then he says we go into the world and we become ministers of this reconciliation. That wherever we go, whether it's in a coffee shop or in our workplace or in our families, that we are there representing the image of God, which is why last week we said we need to do a good job of that. Let's not take his name in vain. Let's, let's do a good job of being ministers of reconciliation. That we look at people not just as ways to make our lives improve. Because, by the way, that is one of the most shocking aspects of the fall is how man and mankind looks at each other purely as a way to increase and develop and and make themselves better. That you look at somebody else as just a way of improving yourself. Whether you're being work, you you don't look at somebody in there in the way that God has created them, but you look at them, how can I step on them to get further myself? And so God says we as Christians should go into the workplace and be reflections of his image and, and be different and not take his name in vain and represent him well. But he says in the fourth commandment, for us to be able to do this Imago day well, for us to be able to represent him well, for us to be able to make him priority, for us to think about him correctly, for us to not take his name in vain, then we must have Sabbath rest. You see, Sabbath rest is more than just taking a day off. You have to remember that, um, that, the, that God was telling this command to people who were farmers. They, they got up when it got light. They went to bed when it got dark. And they worked hard in between. Our lives today are ruthless and relentless in comparison. They really are. That, that our modern lives create this external chaos that we feel like we constantly have to hold on to, that there's always an email to be answered or a text message to look at or a Facebook status to, uh, to, to put in or a website to research or a hobby to be fulfilled or a meeting to go to or a friend to go visit or a child to take to soccer and, or a bank account that needs balancing or money that needs to be made. And I'm just exhausted saying all those things. And then you can go, okay, Glenn, I can just add more and more on top of that. I can, just, I can just keep on going. You give me long enough, I will tell you the external chaos that I feel in my life. That I don't feel like some days that I can breathe. You know, I said to my wife and, and my family this week, and you know, please, please pray for my wife and family. For once, I'm not joking. <laughs> I know I refer to them, and we do have a laugh, and, and we, do, we do have fun, and, and we kind of have this British banter between us, and, and it's got me into trouble preaching in the past in Canada, I've got to admit. Um, I, to- I told you what happened, right, my first sermon in Canada. 
I've got to tell you this because it's, it's, it's good for those of you who are new. My very first sermon in Canada, I, I, in Britain it's quite normal and quite common to actually just make fun of one another. It's just part of married life and, and it's good and it's, and, it, and it's fine as long as it doesn't go too far. And I, and I stood up in my first preach in Canada and there's a big church and, and, I, and I told this joke that I understand now is, is inappropriate, especially in Canada, especially in this church, especially for that pastor. And it was this girl I said at that time, I said I'd been married to my wife for 10 years and and I haven't spoken to her in 10 years because I just haven't wanted to interrupt her. That's the joke I said. Except you laugh because you know me. They didn't. They wrote emails. And so it started. I've had more emails since coming to Canada than, than I ever did in, in Britain, that's for sure. But you see this, this if, you, if you ask my wife and you ask my family, please pray for them because I, I really feel, those of you who are a little closer to me and spend time with me, you know I feel these sermons. These are not just pieces of teaching that I pull together over many hours in the week and go, okay, let's just get that one out of the way and move on to the next. I feel sermons. I feel conviction. They they draw me to my knees. I don't say that in a proud way. I'm saying it to share to you that this morning, perhaps more than any other sermon I have preached in the South, I feel incredibly convicted by because I am not good at soul rest. I am not good at resting. I'm not good at resting because I feel that maybe, and I could point to all sorts of different reasons in my life. You know, I can, I can blame my family, or I can blame this, or I can blame that. It was the way that I was, I, was, uh, I, I was fed when I was a kid, or I was left in my crib to cry for too long. I can point all these different reasons. At the end of the day, there's external chaos in my life. And what it does, just like your life, and I know some of you right now, and you might change your tune at the end of the sermon, you're going, Glenn, you've got no clue what external chaos is like. And I would ask you very humbly, is come and, come and spend some time with me, and I'll tell you the sorrow of sorrows of pastoring and the joy of joys. The things that pastors carry, please pray for us. Because unlike any, a lot of jobs, not all jobs, but like many caring professions, you don't get to clock out. You carry it, and, 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 I, and I have to say, humbly before you, I find the idea of taking external rest alien to me, even by my own character. I feel incredibly guilty taking days off. And those of you who know me well will, will know that, and my family certainly feel that. So please pray, but what happens is this external chaos that we all feel creates an internal chaos that drives us. There's an external chaos And there's an internal chaos. And the two combined result in the highest death rate down to stress and to heart disease and lack of exercise. And and, uh, there's a book by Gordon MacDonald and he refers to, it's called Ordering Your Private World, I think. And he refers to the sinkhole syndrome. I don't know if you've seen on TV, I'm sure you have, the times where suddenly a sinkhole will appear out of nowhere and a house or a car falls in. But if you look at the ground, it looks perfectly good, but underneath there's a lack of foundation, so much so that these sinkholes can be absolutely enormous, at least the size of this room oftentimes, and houses fall in and there's chaos because there's internal chaos. The external is not all that it seems. 
And God says in his first commandment, we need Sabbath rest for us to fully know and experience God. He knows us so well that he knows that we need not just a day off, but we need to be internally rested. And that's what this command is talking about. He loves us so much, he recognizes the external chaos and says, for you to really understand and experience what Imago Dei being created in my image is actually about, then you need to experience internal, beautiful soul rest. That no matter how chaotic life is, no matter how bad it is, your solid foundation, your internal soul rest is in place. So the first thing that I want us to think about this morning, my first point, is rest is more than not working. Rest is more than not working. And in Luke chapter 6, I'll just read it to you. There's this intriguing story of Jesus, and he's plucking grain and eating them, which is against the law that they had at that time for Sabbath rest. And there's response in verse 5 was this. He tells the Pharisees who are pointing out his error. He, says, uh, he, says, he basically says, the Son of Man, me, he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. See, what the Pharisees were doing, they had some 30 or so rules that were attached specifically to the Sabbath. And, and, it was, and, they, and some of them were very intricate and quite bizarre. I'm not going to go into them now, but they had these rules. What they were trying to do was protect and force rest upon people. They were trying to find rest through following through some certain schematics. That you do this, do this, do this, and it result in rest. I said to you a few weeks ago, we have what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery. And we think that people who have gone before us don't know anything. That we're the smartest, the best, the most brilliant now in our generation. And anything before is just, not really. And the further back you go, the more it goes. So we actually just think that these people were just like Neanderthals who are just running around bumping into walls all the time, really not understanding life at all. Rules to keep a Sabbath, they're nuts. But we do the same. We just have different rules to try and bring rest into our lives, into our inner chaos. We have a different set of rules to bring inner soul rest. Our rules in our culture look like this. Alcohol, drugs, sex, leisure. See, not all of them are bad. I'm referring to leisure, by the way, and sex. Pause for effect. <laughs> but what we do is we have things that in order for us to feel rested, we have got to do this, whatever this might be. And some of it is evil and it is wrong and it is all consuming and it's addictive. And by the way, when I talk about sex, I'm not just talking about wholesome sex within a family. My kids are just going nuts right now. That's talking about sex. But I, I'm talking about the way that we actually use sex in our society in a very destructive way, all to try and bring relief to the inner chaos. So we've got these external practices, just like the Pharisees, to try and get its internal rest. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath's not being made, that man's not being made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath's being made for man. The Sabbath is where you get inner rest. See, we're intrinsically connected to our work, aren't we? More than I perhaps think, I want to suggest that in a society, I don't think there's ever been a time when we've been more connected to work. 
You know, whether it be because of insecurity at work, that we just feel like we have to work so hard because we've always got this sense that it might not last. And so there's this insecurity that work brings. So we work hard. Secondly, it might be that we just feel that we have to overwork because everybody is so busy. We've got to overwork. We've got to keep up. And especially if you have a very successful job, the pressure to, uh, or a very high paid job, the pressure to overwork increases. The third thing is is technology and this, this beautiful idea that our mobile devices and technology and email and websites were all, the idea I remember in the early 90s, this was going to make life so much easier. (laughs) No, not even a bit, not even slightly. Some of you have checked your texts while I've been preaching, shame on you. <laughs> have I got a text, Sarah? Can you just check for me? <laughs> some of you have updated your status. Some of you have been looking at Facebook. Some of you, and you know what? I'm not even, in one sense, I'm not blaming you because our culture actually trains us to be that way. But technology is not freeing, it's consuming, it doesn't bring in a rest. The fourth one, and I think the most powerful, to be honest, and in some way, many of us can relate to this, is that our work, more than any other time culturally, defines us. It used to be our family defined us, gave us significance, gave us a feeling of belonging, gave us a feeling of self-worth. Used to be the family unit brought that, but something has shifted over the last 50 years where it's gone from the family unit bringing us significance and defining who we are and giving us a place and a feeling that we don't need to prove ourselves, and it's actually resulted now into our work, that we feel that we have to work so hard because it defines who we are, that we're proving something to someone or to ourselves, that has resulted in us in, in, in enslaving us in many ways. And so we just do not find this inner rest. Just feel like we're going round and round in circles on this never-ending roundabout that just never seems to have any exits. Now, those of you who have, I'm not talking about what I have seen Canadian roundabouts, and we've got a new one. It's, people are very excited about the new roundabout on Lakeshore. I've had at least four people tell me about the new roundabout on Lakeshore. And now some of you are going to go, where, where is it? I've not seen it. It's near the Starbucks construction kind of bomb site down by Lakeshore. New roundabout. I'll guarantee you that roundabout is no bigger than perhaps just a small section of the middle there, just to direct traffic. In Britain, we have roundabouts that are four or five lanes wide with lights on them. And they're the most chaotic and stressful things to be on unless you know where you're going. And you can find yourself just going around the inner circle, round and round and round, hoping that somebody nice who's next to you, and there isn't anybody nice in Britain driving, will actually let you in so you can get off. And you kind of go, oh, there's my exit. Oh, I'll get it next time. Oh, there's my exit. I'll get it next time. And you're round. And I have done that. I've been round and round and round roundabouts several times. You know, and, and you know, people don't notice, they're not on it long enough to notice that you're the lunatic going round and round in the middle. Never able to get off. Stuck. That's how we feel. How can I get off this chaotic life? If I could just see an exit and we think, okay, there's an exit, alcohol. And we go for it. Or there's an exit sex or pornography and we go for it or there's an exit maybe it's keeping fit and we go for it and 
and they all fail. Because what we're doing is just adding more external work to what is essentially an internal issue. To really, <laughs> I tell you, if you were an amening church, I know that you would be amening to this. So I'm just going to imagine it in my mind's eye. <laughs> to really enjoy a physical rest, you need soul rest to your inner chaos. Hey! <laughs> Love it. Oh, amen. Okay, let's, uh, I'm going to stop it there because that's a high for me. How many of you have taken a day off and not rested? How many of you have said this? It takes me four or five days before I can start switching my brain off on vacation. That's a lie. Some of you never switch your brain off on vacation. Still people amening. I love it. When you day off, there's no internal rest. You can go on all the vacations you like. And I've said this many times before and I didn't come up with it. But wherever you go, there you are. You can take as much day off. You can go and ski as much as you want. You can go and hunt as much as you like. You can play as much Xbox or PS3 as much as you want. There is still going to be that internal chaos. So what our, what our culture does is we add on more activity onto what we think will actually give us rest. And what actually happens is that the internal rest is still, uh, sorry, internal chaos is still there. Quickly returns. Without soul rest... There is no true rest. So secondly, where do we find this rest? Jesus said, I am the Lord of the rest. If you want true rest, you have to go to him. In Genesis 1 verse 31, it says this, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. See, the reason we go to the Lord of the rest is God knows how to rest. It's pretty simple. And I remember what I said, that man and woman has been created in the image of God. So inside of us, we have this ability to rest that has been broken by sin. And so when we come back to Jesus, this ability to rest comes back into our life. And so when Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the rest, what he's saying is the only place you're going to find true rest is in him. Now, if you're a skeptic to that and you think, hang on, I'm not sure whether that's true. I don't know whether I want to believe in Jesus to bring me rest. Try and think of something in this world that brings you true inner rest. Not an activity, but just rest that bubbles up from within, regardless of the external circumstances. I want that. I want that. I pray for that. And I think as Christians, and I include myself very much in this, I think we have lost sight of what this true rest really is. And therefore, we've lost sight of Jesus himself because if we can keep Jesus as our focus, then the rest will follow, literally. You see, in Hebrews 4 and verse 9 to 11, it says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for who? The people of God. That's you and me if you believe in Jesus. For those who come to Jesus and repent of their sin and recognize him as Lord and Savior and all that he did on the cross and submit to that, you're the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore, interestingly, strive to enter that rest. 
See, God took a rest on the seventh day. Was it because God needed a nap? Because if God was tired, it would make him not perfect. And so therefore, we know it's not because he was tired. He took a rest. Not a nap. Even though naps are good and biblical. I'm going to prove that to you. (laughs) He took a rest. And he said in Hebrews, he said, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. What does this word rest actually mean then in the Genesis? It's a beautiful meaning. Listen to this. It means utterly satisfied with what has been done. Because all the way through the Genesis account, God says, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. And then now on the sixth day, he goes, now that is very good. Now I can rest. Now I can relax because I am utterly satisfied with how good this is. That's what rest means, utterly satisfied. And the writer to the Hebrews says we can enter into that same sense through the gospel that we can in the same way, being a Christian means, an aspect of being a Christian means that we can look at life in the same way that God looked at his life and step back and go, you know what, life is very good. I have a lot to be thankful for. You say that again, being a Christian, in in one aspect of being a Christian means to be able to look at your life and work in the same way God did and say, it's enough. God has been giving me a word over the last two weeks for me personally, and it's one word, enough. Not enough already, Glenn, although I get lots of those. It's Glenn, enough. You're doing enough. You're being... Enough as a dad. You're being enough as a pastor. You're being enough as a husband. Because there are times as a dad, you're in this perpetual state of guilt. You're guilty because you're not feeling that you're spending enough time with your kids. And then when you are spending time with your kids, you're guilty because you feel like you just want to go and have a nap. Because you're so tired because of all the other stuff. And there's this guilt that goes on. And God says to me, you know, Glenn, enough. Rest. God stepped back from his work and he said, it's enough. I'm satisfied. Some of that, that word enough is skimming off the top of some of you. Like you just, you just can't comprehend what that means. It's like you, you cannot fathom what it means to have done enough. And it's only by the revelation of realizing that in Jesus that he gives you that ability to go, Enough. Enough, and it comes by revelation. It comes by gift of God. Do you know what's really interesting to me? And this just occurred to me. God never stopped resting. Do you notice that? He didn't go, okay, better clock back on. Got the world to sustain by the power of my word. Better get on with this. Stop with the resting. He didn't do that. Do you realize that he's still resting? He's still saying it's enough. He's sustaining the world and everything in it, all that has been and all that will be. He's sustaining it from a position of rest. And what it speaks to me of is, Glenn, that your whole chaotic world can be sustained by your position of rest, your internal rest. So my work, my family life, my, my interests, my hobbies, my, my, my desires, my dreams, my goals are all sustained, are all the bedrock of which is rest in Him. 
My internal chaos is quietened. So our real problem is not the presence of work. It's not that we're working too much, and some of you are. That's not our real problem. Our real problem is that we have an absence of deep rest. See, working harder is not enough to silence the chaos, is it? Working more hours doesn't silence the chaos. Days off don't even silence the chaos. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, Jesus said this, Come to me, all of you who are laboring and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Soul rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice that Jesus said, all who labor, we're working hard. He knows that we're working hard to try and get internal peace, soul rest. He says, no, stop that. Stop working hard. It's not more hours. It's not more leisure. It's not more of the stuff that you think you need. What you actually need is me, Jesus Christ. See, we're all trying hard at something. And he's saying, just make him our meaning and rest will come. That inner healing, that forgiveness, that joy, that peace, that acceptance comes from Jesus Christ. So how is this possible? See, in verse 11 of Luke 6, where Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, it incenses the Pharisees, uh, Pharisees, Pharisees, Pharisees. They go nuts. And they kill him as a result. By the will of God, Jesus Christ died on the cross. And can I say when he hung on a cross, there was no peace for Jesus. He takes on all our inner chaos. I've used this illustration before, but it's important for us. And it's a good illustration that if we can imagine that we placed all of everybody's inner chaos and shame and sin and regret all on one person. That person would feel such a weight. Not only would they have their own stuff, they would have everybody else's stuff in this room. And quite frankly, I think it would immediately break them if they felt it in the same way you felt it, magnified by however many people are in this room. Yet Jesus did that infinitely and eternally for everybody's sin and shame. He felt that, which is why the Bible says he became a curse. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He held and felt the chaos that your life is internally. He, it hung on the cross for him, with him. Separated from God. The Bible says cursed. But... That inner turmoil, multiplied by infinity, died with him. Which is when he said, it's finished. It's done. We are utterly satisfied. That God is utterly satisfied with what has happened on the cross. He has satisfied the punishment that we truly deserve. He places it all on his son and that sin dies with him. And then by us believing in him, we enter that same rest. That righteousness becomes ours and we can rest in him because my inner turmoil died on the cross with him. So now I have no need to strive for significance or place or worth. He accepts you. You have an audience of one. And it's not you or your dad. 
It's God, and he's already shown that he loves you and accepts you, not for what you've done, but because of what Jesus has already done. And by the way, you could say, well, other religions do that. No, they don't. Because other religions say, you work hard at that and you'll be accepted. Jesus says, there's nothing you can do to work to be accepted by me. I already accept you. I came and lived the perfect life you can't live. And I died the death that you deserve to die so that you could experience this inner rest. So how do we practice inner rest? I must say this most weeks. I've been a Christian I'll say a proper Christian, whatever that means, since the age of 17, 18. And so in 23, 24 years, I know that my inner turmoil reduces as I, as the old song says, fix my eyes upon Jesus. And the world just seems to fade away. That the more time I spend with him, Reading, meditating, the Life Tracks people this Thursday, we dug into how do we do that. It was great, you know, the confession and the asking and just the focusing and the journaling. As we press into him, putting our eyes upon him, I tell you that this rest emerges from within. It's the Spirit of God emerges. So the first thing we must do is accept the gospel. If you really want to have true Soul rest as commanded in the fourth commandment. We have to accept the gospel as truth and focus upon Jesus. Which is why the Bible says, fix your eyes upon Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of your faith. As we fix our eyes, as we sing about him and we listen to him, we get into church and hear sermons about him and, and we read about him and we, we, we guard our minds and our attitudes and our thoughts so that it's not, uh, we're not thinking about things that draw us away. As we do all this, this inner rest, emerges. Notice we read, you have to strive for it. You have to work for it. But can I tell you, that physical, external practice of trying to seek inner rest is not exhausting. It's beautiful. And then, I put these points on the sheet and I'm going to go through them really quick. You need to think, number one, how do you find Sabbath rest? Think These guys, they're keen on this media, aren't they? They're like five minutes ahead of me. I've been trying to catch up. Think, I'm not a slave. You've got to think, I am not a slave. In Deuteronomy 5, verse 15, let me read this to you. You shall remember, this is God talking to the Israelites who were in Egypt. You shall remember that you were a, were a slave in the land of Egypt. Not are, were. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. He's saying, look, you can rest because you're not a slave. See, slaves don't get to say no. Slaves have to say yes. Some of you feel like you do not have the luxury to say no. This is something I've been working at as a pastor and getting better at, I hope. He's saying, mm, no. Mm, let me think, no. Let me just pray about that, no. Well, he should be there. He's the pastor. I can't be everywhere all at once for everyone. And neither can you. You have to say, no, you're not a slave. I'm not a slave to my work. And this is me preaching it to myself. 
Because I'm telling myself, I am not a slave. I'm not a slave to Willow Park Church South. I cannot make this church a false god. My God is the God, and he's the one that I serve, and my interest comes from him, not from this church growing or doing well. And I get enslaved to that. And so I have to say to myself, I'm not a slave. And so you have to say, I'm not a slave. I'm not a slave to these kids as much as I love them. I'm not a slave to them. But Glenn, I feel like I'm a slave. I know we feel like it. You know what these, these Israelites felt? They had bad days. In fact, they moaned, well, it was actually better when we were in Egypt. No, it wasn't. You're not a slave. You're not a slave to your job. If you're, a, if you're Christ-centered and believe in Jesus, you are not a slave to your business. You are not a slave to your company. You are not a slave to your job. You are not a slave to your university. You're not a slave to your professor. You're not a slave to your ambitions or goals. You're not a slave to your insecurities. You're not a slave to money. And you can say, I am taking time off. I'm taking a day off because I am not a slave. I am not defined by. Jesus defines me. Can you hear how I preach this to myself? I'm pretty good at it. Sometimes I even become a Christian again and lift my hand, come to the altar and my own altar and pray and say, God, I don't become a Christian again. That's not theologically correct, just in case. Please don't email. But I have to preach this to myself. I'm not a slave. I love you, but I'm not a slave to you. Not that you treat me like a slave, but in my mind, does that make sense? You don't. You're a wonderful church. I love you but I'm not a slave in my own mind to you. And you have to say the same thing to your job and your workplace and your kids. You're not a slave. You also think you're not that essential. Sorry, <laughs> but you're not. You're not that important. Be still and know that I am important. It doesn't say that. It says be still and know that I am God. Not you, Glenn. By the way, I know you think you are, but you're not. Love God. Be still and know that I am God. Take a day off. It's discipline for me on my day off. My day off is on Monday for me to switch off my phone. My wife's going, when did you last switch off your phone? That's what she's thinking. I know I can, it's a word of knowledge. I can, I can sense it. Let's switch off our phones. Let's not check our email. I'm good at that. Just take a day off because you know what? Bad things don't happen when I don't check my email. That's bad grammar, but you knew what I meant. Life does go on. It's amazing to me that I'm not that essential. Puppies don't burn. Birds don't die. Everything is fine if I don't check my email. And yet, for me, in my own mind, the technology and the accessibility actually brings an enslavement where we can't take a day off. Friends, I want to give you a gift on Thanksgiving is take a day off. Join me. Except this isn't my day off today. Sundays are not a pastor's day off. You work longer than this 45 minutes of me yelling. I, it, for whatever day it is, take a day off. You're not that important. Thirdly, very profoundly, take some time off. 
Actually, be disciplined to it. Set a day and stick to it. Again, I use myself an example. Sarah has changed her day off so that we can have a day off together for the main reason to make sure that I'm taking a day off, which is my fourth point about finding accountability. You need community to make sure people who love you enough around you go, you know what, you need to take a day off. Jesus, in the middle of a busy ministry, took time off. He withdrew. Friends, make a plan and stick to it. Switch your phones off. Switch your email off. Switch social media off. Just put things away. Let's do that as a church and rest in him. Let's rejoice for who God is. Rejoice for the the beauty around us that he gives us. I heard a while back, and I thought this was good, from a pastor who's pastor of a very large church. He says he is accessible to everybody and available to the few. That you could email him or phone him or text him or whatever. And I'm, I'm saying for you now, you need to be accessible. That people can contact you, but you do not need to feel that you have to be available to everybody when they want you to be available to them. Because it will kill you and kill your inner peace. It will kill your soul rest. Because now you feel like you're being uh, responsible uh, to them and, and, and for them rather than you're responsible to God. Do you have a day where you're disconnected? Do you have time to go for a walk, to stare at some art, to drink a good bottle of wine with friends? And yes, I did say that. To have good conversations. Do you have time to read a book? Do you have time to listen to good music, to play in the yard with your kids, to go to the park, to just walk outside and breathe and feel the air, to just be and not do? Do you have the time to do that? Are you taking a day for that? Because the most important things in our life, we know, we say, are not things, but they're people and relationships and connection with God. That we put a day aside where we can just start the day in thanksgiving and worshiping Him for who He is and what He has done. Does that sound good? Just talking about going for a walk makes me feel better. And that's not enough, by the way, just talking about it. You actually need to go and do it. Like Today, we should all be heading down to Mission Creek or a pumpkin patch, or somewhere. Sabbaths mean we can spend time with those we are closest to. And finally, like I've mentioned, be in community. Be accountable to somebody. This is a tough question, but who are you noticed by? Who are you noticed by? Who is it in your life who loves you enough, not just necessarily your partner, but somebody who's going to come along and go, you know what, I can just see in your eyes that you're tired. When was the last time you took a day off? That you rested. You enjoyed that inner rest. So you've got this internal rest found in Jesus and an external rest that is found to be even more beautiful and deep as we focus on Jesus. So here's my suggestion. I suggest to you that we need to repent for the times that we have earned, tried to earn what was freely given instead of celebrating and resting in this which he has given to you freely. Striving after that which he has said is a gift. 
So that tomorrow morning, oh, well, that's, that's, a, that's a holiday. It's on Tuesday. You can go into work in all the outer chaos with an inner peace only found in Jesus. Let me say a blessing over you that you may, I pray that you may learn to rest well in him. That you may experience rest from your inner chaos. That you may learn to see the simple mercies that he has given to you around you. That you may learn how those simple mercies point you to the cross. That as you go for that walk and you look at your kids and you rest on your couch or you read the book or you feel the wind, that you can see and feel Jesus in all of them. And that you may find your strength, your vitality, and your hope in Him and in Him alone. Let me pray. Dear Jesus, we, we struggle with this. Our society and our culture has created this sense of significance to be found in our work. Forgive us, Lord. Father, I pray today and tomorrow as you have given us this Thanksgiving weekend. Lord, I pray that we would find inner peace, soul rest in you, Jesus. That we would put time aside to think and to thank and to spend time praising you and being aware of you in our family and in our surroundings. And as Christians, Lord, that we would find our significance in you and you alone, Jesus. We fix our eyes upon you and think about you and talk about you and read about you and, and go to community group and just fill our lives with you. Lord, I pray for those in the room who do not know you who are trying to find the soul rest from adding more and more stuff to their lives, even if that stuff is good. Lord, I pray that they, even as we sing now and as we reflect on what has been said, Lord, I pray that they will hear your spirit drawing them and wooing them. But Lord, that they would Lord, ask for forgiveness from you for all that they have done wrong, all those things that they deserve to be punished for. Jesus, thank you that you took that punishment. So Lord, I pray now as we worship together as a church family on this wonderful Sunday, Lord, I pray that there would just be a sense of inner peace, soul rest that would invade this room. that truly we would turn our eyes upon Jesus in the light of his glory and grace and that the things of earth will go strangely dim. Lord, as we, as we focus on you, let the earth just go strangely dim. Thank you, Jesus.